Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it with, you made it with, you made it with. What's happening, weirdos? Another uh, romcast for those of you that enjoy these. I hope it's uh, all of you. I hope it's all of you. This is a very, very interesting and funny and fun and jolly one. This is the Jolly Llama himself, Llama Suryadas, an American llama. He's been on Colbert. Uh, to, to me, more impressively, uh, impressively he spent uh, two uh, separate three-year trips uh, in Tibet where he was meditating the entire time. I mean, that alone is uh, worth worth a good worth a good interview. So we got down to it. Uh, he's such a wonderful author. I encourage you to check out his books and all that other good stuff. But you're gonna you're gonna see what I'm talking about here. So let's get to it as quickly as possible. No ad here. Uh, the only thing I want to plug is that I will be doing my monthly show at Largo on March 9th. Go to largo-la.com if you'd like to come check that out. And in the meantime, please enjoy the uh, incomparable and wonderful uh, Lama Suryadas. I'm tired. Can you tell? It's 11.20. I'm sending this to Katie at 11.20. That's just rude on my part. <laughs> Sorry, Katie. All right, guys. Enjoy. Get into it. Can you turn off my phone? Oh, yeah. Look at you. I always think it's funny. Like, I text you, right? Yeah. And you reply. And I think that's really fun. It is fun. I think it's fun. I like you too. <laughs> no, it, it's not just that I'm like, ooh, I'm special. I kind of like. Special. That's nice. <laughs> that's special. It is nice. It is, and it's nice to be I'm special. special but yeah, you, you text me. That's spe- I'm special. Yeah, you're Lucky special. Me. Yeah, you're special. <laughs> it's not special. It's like normal. We want to be in touch. It is normal, with the homies. But <laughs> you know, texting but, is good. Just like my niece and nephews. Yes. Instead of calling on Sunday night, now I get texting them well, any crazy time. It's nice. Yeah, exactly like right. In the other house. You can stay in, in touch constantly room. instead of some sort of like formal, rigid, weekly and it's phone informal. call. It doesn't have to be dear anybody. It's like you just. Exactly. Well, yeah. tell that to my father who still signs every text, well, Dad. That's nice. And my mom. Mom. They think they're writing letters. I think they, they type on their phones with feather quilled pens. You can wear these if you want. It sounds like you're on the radio, or you cannot. What do you think? I let try it. Showbiz. How's that? Do well, do you like it? That's fine. But I guess what I'm saying is, you know, I text you and I think people think or let's keep other people out of it. Yeah. I sometimes think of spiritual people as being like the modern spiritual person is just airplane mode. You understand? It's just like if you're not on your phone, that must mean you're some sort of other level person. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> Well, don't you think that people... What I thought you were going to say was people usually think that, like, the spiritual teachers or something don't aren't online all the time. Yes. Like we worldly schnooks. Yeah, 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 exactly. But... That is what I'm saying. But, yeah, well, I didn't understand that, what you said exactly. Well, maybe I said it poorly, but, you know, worldly yeah, schnooks are... Right. Well, wouldn't you associate... It's a good you... subject. Yeah. It's a good subject, because, like, what are we doing today, why, and how? Yes. I mean, isn't that could be one of our subjects? What are we doing today? Why and how is I'm a fantastic saying. place to I start. Mean, like, as she knows, I mean, she's she does my Instagram. I can, <laughs> I can hardly do anything, <laughs> but I am trying to stay in touch with my loved ones, and that's a beautiful and thing. And I do email, you know, and, I, and I'm a writer, so I have a laptop, and yeah, like, I'm not entirely living in a cave. I did for a long time. Yeah, I know. 
<laughs> so, but it is. This it, is the new me. You, how do you like it? I love it. Well, you see, I hope you knew that there was no, uh, there wasn't even a whiff of judgment there. No, it's just fun no, just for talking, me. Yeah. that when I text you, it's not like, oh, he hasn't allotted, because people think that being on your phone means you're not being present. Wouldn't you say? Yes. You think you're not there. I have a lot to say about this. Please I'm hit not it. I'm an expert at it. I don't want you to be We're an expert. We're not taping, are we? Yeah, we are taping. Is that okay? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't mean to sneak that on you, but no. we never formally start. It's very, ah, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, since we're alone here in the Karmatoon capital of the world. Yes. Um, people might, I, I don't know who these people are. But um, that think this and that. But I noticed, you know, that there's an idea that if you're on your phone or your electronics that you're not really there or you're distracted. And from an old school point of view, that may be true. Just like my, I don't know, my late mother, may she rest in peace, didn't like it if I was reading all the time because she thought I was trying to avoid being with the family. Of course, if I said I was doing my homework, that was different. But she knew I was reading 007 novels or something. She wanted you to put your f- books she, on airplane She wanted mode. me to be involved. <laughs> We're talking about 1967. So That's really funny because, because I Because always... she thought I was tuning out from the family. Uh-huh. But, but, you know, it just depends what you want to tune in and out to. So I want to tune in to the younger generations and, like, to my nieces and nephews and, you know, godchildren and younger students, disciples, friends, followers, sure. and neighbors. So There is something scary Texting is great isolating. for that. isolating. When when an older person, I'm not saying you're older, I'm saying like my yeah. mom, she's in her 70s. When she, she, it's confusing and angering to her explaining how to use the cable box or how to use her, uh, an iPhone or something. It, it really causes her a lot of pain. Yeah, there's nothing new about this, Pete. You know, it's, it's happened in every generation. My parents held on to the rotary phone. If, well, I, if any of our listeners even know what I'm talking about, the yeah. rotary phone for so long yeah. until they couldn't make a plane reservation, even though they had credit cards, because you can't use a credit card with a rotary phone and yeah, punch in numbers. Yeah. So oh eventually they got off the rotary phone. Then they had an answering machine. They didn't want to have voicemail. Voicemail. Yeah. As my mother would say, if somebody wants to be, talk to me bad enough, they'll call back. Oh, I like that. So that's, that's a, a healthy uh, self-love right there. Yeah. That's important. That's special. Well, she's my mother. She is special. She was special. And she you know what's is. really funny? Can I ask you about that? She's not heavy. She's my mother. <laughs> Jewish mother, may I add. My mother is Lithuanian. She wants you to know. My mother's Lithuanian, which I like to say yeah. is, is close. It's yeah. close. Well, my parents were Litvak Jews, so they were from that pale of settlement between Lithuania, Poland, and oh, no white way. Russia. Oh, that's so interesting. I'm proud of it because it was a great cultural and learning capital of Eastern Europe for those peoples. Let me get, I'll I'll get to the whole, how much I love you and how welcome you are and who you are and all that story. But let me just start here selfishly because I I got you. Yeah. My mom was just. You must be special. (laughs) (laughs) My mom was. You're the original homes, homie. That's right. I'm the first first homie. homie. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My mom. After Sherlock. Go on. Well, he wasn't a homie. They didn't have that term back then, those bastards. Uh, My mom was just here. And I am so, as you know, I'm I'm into all of this. I love Ramdas so much. Everyone that listens to this podcast basically is listening to Ramdas kind of like photocopy, photocopy, photocopy. You know what I mean? Because I'm quoting him so often. I almost don't even stop to say that I'm quoting him because it happens so often. I'm just like, just assume if I say something that changes your life. It was probably Ramdas. And then I'll be like, go listen to these other lectures or whatever. But uh, Ramdas was a great pioneer and he brought the good word to these shores. 
along with some others, but yes, we yes. love him. Yes. And I'm glad he's still alive. And Me too. Fairly well. What a thrill. Maui. What yes. a thrill to meet him. It was, yes. it was unbelievable to meet him. And, uh, but my mom's in town, and she was raised, uh, or she was, she just left. Uh, she was raised Protestant, you know, uh, Christian. And uh, I remember, so I'm trying to, because she's curious, so I'll be talking to her about soul consciousness, right? And talking about not loving someone for being special. You know, egos and personalities are special, but souls are all equal. And this is how we can, as Maharaji said, love everyone, right? So I'm kind mm-hmm. of explaining, because my girlfriend, Valerie, has a tattoo that says, love everyone. And my mom, kind of, if I'm interpreting her behavior correctly, was kind of like using that, like, well, it says love everyone, so uh, take, me to the, take me to the tar pits or whatever it is. Like, it says on your arm. And so I'm explaining to her, when you see people as awareness, you can love everyone, even your greatest enemy. You understand? That's the challenge. But then, how, how big the big love is not like love. like and dislike. I'm going to throw this at you. This I, I know I'm talking a lot. It's beyond like and dislike. Yes, no, you're not talking too much. I'm used to it. But I want you. To- <laughs> I'm Jewish, New Yorker. In New York, in Brooklyn, we talk at the same time. That way, we have twice as much communication. That's our, that's our way. It might not be right, but that's our you way. We love salty it. dog. But my mom is very. And I don't mind this. I like it. It makes me feel special. She's very attached to my specialness. She's like, well, of you grew up. I raised you this way. And and you've always been good at loving people's personalities, enjoying me, your mother, and, and what makes me unique. And, and my sets of my circumstances and all the slides in the in the projector, you know, that make mm-hmm. me me. And and it was – it. she didn't want to let go of that special bond that we have. Ram Dass talks about – he goes, I don't know if souls have special relationships. Egos certainly do. And my mother and I have a special relationship. So when I was explaining this, and of course I'm trying, so stupid, I'm trying to help my mom lighten up, you know, mm-hmm. be free, tell her that she has choice and power and control and all the love she needs in her right now, and she doesn't need anyone else responsible for her happiness. So I'm trying to liberate her, but really all that's happening is I'm robbing her of the idea that I love her specialness. I'm trying to just be like, I love you, and I love this guy who's robbing me, and I love this guy who's a pedophile, or whatever it is. Well, we can throw words around, and love is a good one, you know, but um, <laughs> how we understand so many different kinds and levels and depths and varieties. But um, I think to answer the question that you're not asking is... <laughs> The middle way is Buddha's greatest teaching. Mm. And I'm not somebody who's going to quote Buddha every sentence. You know, you have your Ramdas, I have my Buddha, big deal. But <laughs> they're always with us. Thank God. Thank God for Buddhism. That's what I always say, and for spiritual life. But um, the middle way, not too much and not too little. So love everyone, yes. And also we have to learn to love people one at a time. Like if we don't, you know, there are people... There are Western gurus, I'm not going to mention any names, they have Jewish names even, that they don't talk to, they're broken up with, they're divorced from their mothers and their yeah. family. I'm going to want to go down the mother track here, I'm just saying. Why not? Loving everyone doesn't preclude, in fact, it requires we have to be able to also be intimate enough to be able to love someone and one-to-one and not just a person, you know, but something in the world, that love ourselves, love a pet, love the earth, mm. love our vocation, our true work here. You know, love is bigger than like and dislike. So there's a lot we could say about this, but it doesn't take anything away from your mother, your soul mother, not your your special ego-based, you know, ordinary mother, but your real mother. If you can relate to your real mother that way, she'll feel more loved as she sees 
that you're more, since she thinks you're special, you know, I'm going to call her Jewish mother now, like yeah. all Jewish mothers, <laughs> all ethnic mothers, really all mothers, gross generalization. Yeah. They think that you hung the moon right. and that, you know, you're the, dare I say, only son of God. Yeah. Probably by immaculate conception, like Jesus. Right. Why? Because they're your mother. Because they would die that you would live. And that's how it should and must be. And that is real love. Yeah. So I'm not going to say that's ego love, that's neurotic love, and soul love is better. That is the tip of the iceberg of the big love of the soul love. It's selfless. Mm. It's egoless. Of course, then through raising you and all and all those projections, as you mentioned, and years, and she gets parents and we all get more involved and attached, invested in outcomes. So we yeah. identify with it and we're proud if you do what we think you should do and we're embarrassed or worse if you do what we think you shouldn't do. Yeah. But still the big love is there. They love you no matter what in the best sense. That's the parental kind of love and that's beautiful. But um, it's not all or nothing. That's what I'm saying. The it's middle, the middle way. way. And that's important, I find, all the time. Many of the questions that so I can, have with can, my mind mm. puts things apart and it wants to choose one or the other when it really can also be both and. Mm. So I've been working a long time since I was a teenager and got into these things <clears throat> and went to Asia and Himalayas for years to find and go deeper on loving everyone. But also we have to do our inner work on loving and accepting ourselves and what's even deeper than ourselves, our true selves, our soul, our inner deity, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And then we, it's like digging a well and you get to the water table underneath where all the water is joined and you can see that in everyone and everything. Even the people you don't like, even the people you don't agree with, even the people that abstain from debates. Mm. Mm-hmm. Tonight, and so on. Even people that you may disagree with, you still see on the soul level, they're just, you know, what a Dostoevsky said. Life is a battlefield, and we're all fighting in this war. Mm. It's not easy. Yeah. So you got to love them, even though you don't like them. Mm. But you get to choose. I'm not saying you should. I believe that we all got to learn to love even what we don't like. And then we can live the, the good book's injunction, you know, to love thine enemy and treat others as you would be treated and all that. But I think we have to learn about this or work on ourselves and together each other to go to this depth and profundity, Mm. not just bandy the words around, like compassion, which is very important in our tradition. I remember George Bush talked about conservative compassion, and it was like weasel words. It was just like one excuse to have less taxes for the rich (laughs) in this oligarchy of a country where the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Mm as Groucho Marx or some Marx said. <laughs> one of the Marxes. One of the Marx brothers. <laughs> and it was weasel words. So just using word like compassion or love ain't enough. It's funny, Krishnadas, when he did this podcast, also was like, these words mean something. Yeah. Like he kept saying that. Like yeah. he's kind of getting worked up because we do throw them around <laughs> a lot. You know what I mean? And I was, yeah, I'm, I'm. Krishnadas got worked up. Yeah. That's hard to believe. He's usually like. Ah, he's very chill. So yeah. equanimous. Oh, yeah. except when he does his, his kirtan. Oh, you got to see uh, that. Singing I, with Krishnadas is like being there. It's yeah. like being with Maharaji, yeah. who for us was like being with Jesus or God or Buddha. Yeah. Krishnadas said person. he thought it was uh, Christ, actually. Yeah. That's what right. he said. And when I learned to sing and chant with Maharaji, in front of Maharaji in India in those days with Krishnadas and all of us who were there. And um, even now, it's hard to believe, Pete, 40 years later, hmm. I can never sing or chant Kirtan said it without Maharaji being there right in front of me. Oh my God. That's amazing. 
I'm not saying you have to put a picture there so I can chant. I'm saying if I start chanting now, Maharaji will be there right in front of me between us, in your way, blotting you out. <laughs> no. Here he comes. <laughs> the original Holmes. <laughs> so welcoming. That's how My best brother. tied Maharaji is to chanting for you. Chanting kirtan, devotional prayers and hymns and singing, yes. And all the inner yogas that go with it, which involves energy and you know, chakras and channels yeah, and sure. light and, and bhakti, devotion, cleaving close, seeing through the illusion of separateness, like I write about in my new book, Make Me One With Everything. There you go. Seeing through the illusion of separateness, that's what he taught me. Yeah. And he was always saying, Sabak. That was his old Indian voice. I'm imitating. All one. All one. See the unity and the diversity. Mm. And you see, then again, we're losing some of that <laughs> specialness. Some of the showbiz people I know are reluctant to get into this because we really want to be special. Yeah, well, they should we be don't very be... reluctant because there's <laughs> only, once you get into it, there's only one way out, and that's through it to the and the other end. <laughs> you, you so understand. think twice or thrice before you get into it, friends. But I'm joking because, of course, <laughs> this is not... You're warning it's people not as, yes. on the path. You don't yeah. want this. Well, that, no, it's like people tell me, well, it, it, with my initials. LSD. People always ask me about those things. So, you know, when they say, should I take it? I might not be the same afterwards. And I said, well, that's kind of the idea. <laughs> or like, should I go to therapy? Maybe showbiz people are afraid to put away some of their problems because then they won't have the chops that have I've made them who they are. I, I, I am and against that. I think that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I think the clearer the slate, the better. Yes. But there's various views on this, of course. But for every miserable or uh, neurotic um, great artist, there is also a very probably integrated yes, person right. who's one with their vocation. That's right. Through whom the muse flows, and that is the divine life. There's nothing better. And there's That's nothing the better juice. than that. But more importantly, if you have to choose between being famous, special, celebrity, or happy, fulfilled, content, you don't have to choose, but I'm just saying, which, which door would you choose? Yeah, that's right. The multi-divorce, addictive... Uh, early death, sad legend problem. Yeah. Or the happy, fulfilled, long life, contribute to the community, spiritual uh, a light in the world, you know, yeah. beautiful light in the world. Situation. I'm going to go with that middle way, I hope. So, some of both. <laughs> That's what I'm well, going for. I'm proud of you. You're here on Sunset Strip, <laughs> but you're stripping it down to the bare bones, to the naked. <laughs> you know, even inside down. the bones, there's the marrow, there's the blood, there's the essence. So let's yeah. not stop. Yeah. You know, just keep stripping. Take off the clothes isn't enough. We have to unmask our true selves or souls. Yeah. That would be the real strip club that I'm. <laughs> I would go on that one. I'm founding. Instead of girls, 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 souls, souls, souls. Yeah, Something well, like that. Girls is kind of limited, isn't it? <laughs> women, women. I'd prefer women, women, women. I'm just women. saying that, you know, what about men? <laughs> what about other things? What about LGB and the other 14 categories? Yeah. So I'm just saying the big love yeah. includes the blades of grass and not just a beautiful pet, but also the animals and the fish and I don't know what. You know, yeah. You know, the worms and the mosquitoes, I guess. Yeah, sure. I'm just in the sense of they all have a right to life and if you kill a mosquito, it doesn't get home at night and it's mate probably miss and children miss it it's kind of sad <laughs> it is sad. Hey, you're talking to a spider trapper over here i don't, I don't mess <laughs> okay. around i just saw you post on facebook the cheat sheet for buddhism and it was like oh i don't kill okay you know i was try i try not to well, kill there's different levels of killing my le my belt is leather yeah, there's some my, death for mine you. too yeah 
Well, well, we have to draw the line somewhere. Middle way. Middle way. Get out of here. You see, I mean, it's been 10 minutes the middle, and people are already given a gift. Yeah, well. That's what you do, baby. Thank you. <laughs> it's better when I say it. I like it. <laughs> to whom much is given, much is expected, Pete. So yeah. I'll pass that on to you. <laughs> now, you're the younger generation. I expect a lot of you. I'll do my I remember, best. I remember, I'm sorry if I, you know, keep dropping names, not that they're my friends, but Pope Francis just visited America, and I was very interested in what he had to say. He's a very mm. free-thinking for a pope, and I'm enjoying it and hopeful. He said, um, so now what are you going to do? Mm. And, you know, I think we could take that to heart. Like, what, what are we going to do? And, uh, well, you and I to, talk- wit, to whom much is given, much is expected. Right. And not just you or I, because we have a public profile. Uh, just being alive and being, living in the free country and being educated, mm. not to mention being white. Male. Dare I say yeah. being male. Yeah. We all have a lot of advantages, but also the females uh, that are here. Uh, to whom, you know, we all have a lot of gifts. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I practice gratitude and reverence all the time and try to pass it on and pay it forward. Mm. I know this sounds a little earnest, but uh, I, I can be an ironic SOB, but right now I'm just <laughs> saying, earnest. so what about you? You know, what are you going to do? Me? Yeah, you and whoever's listening. You know, it's interesting because we talked about that in Maui, which was I was having this kind of, it wasn't a crisis. It was an interesting experience, which was, and now what? And then what? The idea, so you yeah. chant and you right. see Maharaji. And then what? I chant, I don't see Maharaji. Well, there's no need. Well, isn't that interesting? I was just saying, telling you my experience. That's how it came to me. No, no, and, and please don't yeah. think that I'm jealous or, or no, there's no, anything no, vitriolic here. Whatever you... You, you met know. Maharaji. You right, t- right. You're touching this guy's feet, yeah. a, a guy whose picture is all over my house. It's in front of my elliptical, so I can just stare <laughs> at him while I'm working well, out. I usually watch sports, but what power to you? <laughs> Whenever you work out, you see Maharaji. You've yeah. went up to me, man. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> I listen to Krishna Das. That's what I do, because otherwise I'm bored on that thing. Uh, but And then what? That, I think that's an... That, you that, were that, interested in question. that question. And well, then what? That, what do we do? Maharaji... What if we feel joy? What if we feel alive? What if we feel liberated? And then what? How? how what that, are we doing here? Are we to float around in bliss? Or are we to suffer? Are we to help? No, all those things are just part of the entire mosaic or the whole mandala of being. It's a beautiful, you know, miraculous life. And we could die any time. So, like, we're all going to die. But who's really going to live? So my message is, and you know, I, people call me the American Lama and the Jolly Lama. The Jolly Lama? I never heard that one. So <laughs> I, I, like, I say, you know, Viva the Buddha, like Zorba the Buddha, not try to keep quiet and keep your eyes closed. Mm. That's just for half an hour in the morning. Mm. What about the other 23 hours of the day? Mm-hmm. So I, and, and what about others? There were others. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. I didn't know. Right. Well, there yeah. are others, too, and that's the joy of it, not just my inner soul or finding something for me or between me and God or, or if you don't believe in God, you know, me, 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 myself, and I, the three jewels. No, there's more to life than that. Mm-hmm. And there's seeing through the illusion of separateness, recognizing our interbeing, our interconnectedness, resonating it's together. It's a lot, though. It's a love story. And, but it's a lot. It's overwhelming. It lot. Ram Dass talks about the heart expanding. The it, mind is wants to separate and It could exclude. be overwhelming. We want to go, I have my family and I feed my family. And the heart wants right. to go, everyone, everyone, everyone. But okay, so I'm watching... Middle way. The, uh, middle way. I know. God. It's so good. I'm watching Ali, the movie Ali, last night. Love it. And I love it, too. Lama's watched, has seen it, too, more than once. (laughs) Wait, with With Will Smith? Yeah, yeah, with Will Smith. That's right. So I'm watching it, and I I love it. I I think all movies have a metaphoric quality that is very stirring. Why do we love it when this fast, 
underweight guy is is beating this giant, the first fight with Sonny Liston. Sonny Liston. So he's he's beating this, and you're like, why does this stir me so much? And I'm always saying this. I really think most things are about waking up on some level. Some some are it's harder to see than others, but I really think we're we're rooting for the part of ourselves yes. to defeat the inner Sonny Liston. So yes, we like that. That's right. But then when I start looking at it on another level. I go like, oh, this poor guy, because the actor playing Sonny Liston has a face that makes you feel bad for him. As soon as Ali starts punching this kind of, you know, he keeps calling, you're an ugly bear. So he's not a good looking guy, I guess. And he kind of looks sad. So he starts losing. And you're like, "It's." I had a tweet. I was like a Zen Buddhist watching a boxing match. Why are you hitting yourself? (laughs) Right? So you're watching, there's no one in the other boat, right? right? There's no one in the other, there's no one in the ring. You're just hitting yourself. It's it's awareness hitting awareness. And it kind of makes you sad. You kind of want everyone to stop hitting themselves. And on the other side, you're getting chills because you're like, yeah, get him, get him, get him. That's, that feels like middle way right there. I'm My heart's breaking for the losing guy. Yeah. And I'm like, get him. Well, I think that's why we enjoy this kind of entertainment because there's many parts of ourselves and it touches many parts of ourselves. But, you know, that basic message of the um, the underdog or or the good guy, you know, Ali, the poet, mm-hmm. and Golden Gloves champion athlete, and Sonny Liston, the ex-con, and the bear, the ugly bear. You know, so it's kind of yeah. trying to say even in boxing there is beauty. Right. And so, look, a lot of my friends uh, don't go for boxing. They don't go for guns. They don't go for a lot of things maybe. But I would say Muhammad Ali is one of the greatest people of the 20th century. Mm. And he... So transcended his art form, mm-hmm. his work, right. and his sport. And he went into charity. He he uh, was a conscientious objector. Mm-hmm. He got spirituality eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, he started a museum in his hometown, which has all the world religions represented in it. Is that right? I didn't know um, He did major works way before the Gates Foundation in Africa, which most Americans had given up on in the 70s and so forth. Mm. Ali was one of the most famous people in Africa. But there, his World Foundation did a lot. So mm. uh, even a boxer could transcend the genre, just like even, people criticize lawyers. But Gandhi, <laughs> Lincoln... You know, et cetera. Yeah. L- lawyers. Well, then you watch Making a Murder and people fall in love with these defense lawyers. We, we, we love these champions of research and it's so boring, but there's something kind of beautiful right underneath the surface of all that paperwork. Well, let me say there's something beautiful underneath the well, surfaces. Yeah. But um, yes, we could think of some pretty horrible things in this world also. So, you know, let's not be Pollyanna-ish. Well, you know, this is where you but start I try losing. to see the, I try to see the half, the three quarters. This is so I'm not going to espouse the middle way now because it's getting a little boring. No, I love it. So I like to see the three quarters of the glass that's full rather than the half that's empty. Ah, oh, good. How's that's that good. For some math. I like that. Like, oh, I get it. Be limited. I, I, <laughs> there is a moment if you tell that uh, whatever you want to call that that you're worried that I just don't get math. That I'm just like ah, I get it. You like looking at the full half, not the other half. But I got it. It didn't add up. Yeah, but that's why I say we, we see what's there, and also we have to be we have to deal with the dark side too in ourselves and in life, and we should. Well, I think that's where you start. You can lose people, you know, when when you start talking about. I forget who it was that talked about like I, I am the child in Uganda starving, and I'm also yeah. the Th- arms dealer. Thich Nhat, Thich Nhat Hanh, Thich Nhat Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah, and I'm the I'm gonna botch it, but who cares? Yeah, I'm the frog. I'm the frog being raped by the pirates. And yes. the boat people. 
And I'm also the pirate not ready to wake up. I'm also the pirate. That was hard for us to hear. Hey, I'm not the pirate rapist. Well, there's a part of us that may be, or as they say in the East, maybe in a past life we may have done those things. Well, that's what they say about Buddha, too, and Maharaji, is that he had been the villain. He Mm -hmm. had been... The killer. Or, I, I don't mean to blaspheme. But no, I feel like this but it's is a about precious... evolution, yeah. spiritual evolution, not just genes and chromosomes. Yeah, like over and over yeah. and, and figuring That's it out. That's we learn the lessons. If we don't learn, the... this is Eastern thought about reincarnation. If we don't learn the lessons now, we get left back. We have to come back. I think that's. So, I mentioned it many times on the podcast before, but the thing about, as I understand it, it's been told to me the Buddhist story that's so interesting is he wanted out. Is that he was tired of going around and around, and he was like, enough of this. I'm going to come up for air. As Ram Dass said, we're all stuck in the melodrama, yes. and we're drowning right. in it. We're up to our eyeballs, playing these roles. You're my guest, and I'm the host, and I'm Pete, and I'm from Boston, and you're from Long Island, and you're women, and we're upstairs, and they're downstairs, and I, I'm uh, this economic class, and I'm this political person. And it's exhausting, and at some point, someone goes like, I don't want to come back as some fucking accountant in Sri Lanka. Like, I'm done with this. That's okay, but let's let's smarten up the discussion a little, Pete. Like, <laughs> in ancient times, people thought about reincarnation and, you know, what kinds of cosmologies, and that's fine, and some people still do. But what it's really about is getting out of the, is awakening now within the dream that we're in, not after we die. Mm-hmm. And is uh, waking up from the nightmare or the dream or the small bubble-like confines of our ego separateness Mm. and loneliness and alienation is so prevalent in modern times even though we have so many material advantages but uh, there's still so much suffering and so many antidepressants being prescribed and not to mention suicide divorce and everything else so i think what we're trying to do is get out of the vicious cycle of that we're stuck in get out of our rut Mm -hmm. this is something everybody can understand it's not about whether you believe in reincarnation yeah but Get that, out of the vicious cycle of conditioning that keeps producing the same results. Right. Doing the same thing and expecting different results, the typical yes. definition of insanity. Yes. Doing the same thing and expecting different results while we're digging You've ourselves in deeper. You've met my family. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that, that is one of the last things I Googled. I couldn't remember the verse, going back to the good book, where they say, they will not say, lo, the kingdom of heaven is here or there, but the kingdom of heaven is inside. The kingdom of heaven is within. It's is unbelievable. Within. So. But that, but let's how be the ushers this... to usher in the kingdom of heaven, not wait for some Messiah to come. But did, later, how did this get turned into waiting to be saved and something later? That's all it is. Ask ten, ten people, nine of them in America. I feel like will tell you it's about something somewhere else saving you and something that you get later. Um, maybe not nine out of ten. There's no easy answer, but that's human nature. What do you mean? The uh, great founders and why people of the ancient, you know, the prophets, like you're referring to the good books, so we have to talk about Jesus. Jesus, you know, had a radical message and was rejected by many. And a lot of it, when it got codified and written down and then institutionalized, it got very, um, you know, kind of like maybe the, a lot of it got left out, maybe the bottom, the deepest third, <laughs> where you see it in some apocryphal Gospels, perhaps, like the Gospel of Thomas and other Gospels that were not included in the main books. So, and then institutional religion gets more and more narrow, you know, so uh, over centuries and and millennia ossified. So I I just think it's always been like this. And it's a a cycle, that's all. It's not one religion has the answer and the other doesn't. Since you asked how 
we're not brought up to be that independent or autonomous, even better. We're very dependent. We go f- from our parents to Prince Charming or, mm. or you know. We're think, always waiting. Or, or somebody's going to save us. Yeah. Or, you know, the person in the White House, the next person. Anomalisa. I don't know if you saw that movie, but that's the point of that movie is something else yeah. is going to save you. Right. And it doesn't. Right. And it doesn't. And, and it, it never will. Because we're looking. I think there's a song about this. Looking for savior. Looking for being saved in all the wrong places <laughs> or maybe it was love but that's us that's us but don't you see that's that's my problem with some with my mom in particular i'm kind of the golden boy of the family and my mom and I, i'm not trying to stop her from loving her and i'm trying to love her and let things be as they are but i'm also trying to be like i'm not here to save you I, i'm always trying to show my mom how i'm not who she thinks i am you know what i mean like i'm not this perfect golden person you see me acting out as if to demonstrate no I'm not what you're waiting for. But, you know, I think people might be able to relate to that idea. People, whether it's your girlfriend or your, or your mom, there's a, get Dr. Freud in here. Yeah. Somebody's waiting for you to save them. Well, That's like the American how, way. How old are you, man? I'm 36. Yeah. So maybe you have to start, you know, just saving yourself and being yourself and trust that that will, you know, have only beneficent results in terms of people you care about like your mom. Right, well, not, I, not doing things for her because we're still being driven, most of us, by these early imprints. And we have to grow up to not just be independent, which is the teen individuating stage, but past independence to be autonomous and recognize interdependence, but autonomous within interdependence, not just independent and reacting. And when we were young, the parents tried to get us to do what they wanted. Now we grow up and they get sort of younger or smaller mm-hmm. as they get older. Mm-hmm. And we try to get them to change. They wanted to change us. Now we want to change them. But it's more of the same. It's in the same level or dimension of consciousness of reactivity yeah. and, and separateness. And training. and yeah. If you love and accept her as she truly is, if you could see her, I'd push you for. If you see her as Maharaji... Mm. Then you know. Then I think it's going to take a lot of chanting. <laughs> whatever it takes, it's worth it because unconditional love and acceptance is totally transformative. It's not going to just make things stay the way they are. Mm. Keep fighting, fighting to untie the same knot impatiently and pulling on the knot as if it's a shoelace that's tied mm-hmm. is not going to untie it because it's the same consciousness level that created the problem. But I think it's interesting because here I am Acceptance can transform everything. I'm trying to teach my mom to not wait for someone to save her as I'm trying to save her. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So instead... You're buying into her delusion and trying to fix it as if she's really sick. Like the psychiatrist really believes that the patient is being chased by a tiger. <laughs> In this case, you're buying into the fact that the patient is looking for you know, the great tiger of divinity to save her yeah but actually that's not exactly what's happening either that's your projection of what's happening and i'm agreeing yeah you're you're reinforcing that by helping join the battle yeah that's right and she'll just transfer to the same you know with the same level of consciousness she'll just transfer to a different object (laughs) like you or some other outer. What is so? There, there has to be some kind of radical shift or hyper jump. Mm. I think we need to. Uh, awakening is like breaking through to another dimension, like getting out of flatlands of two dimensions into mm. being the spheres mm-hmm. that we are, or deeper. You call it the soul level. Uh, you know, there's other ways of thinking about it, but not just a little incremental change on the same level, mm. like. 
trying to get a better berth on the Titanic <laughs> or redecorating your prison cell. Yeah. So I think your mother's fine. And I think that, you know, you and her are probably karma from the past and you'll have some in the future. So the only thing that you need to do now, I'm, I'm telling you, which is embarrassing, but one of my friends gave me some very good advice. Josh Barron, maybe you know him. He has a great Facebook presence. He's brilliant. He says, never give advice. <laughs> so I said, that was good advice, Josh. Thank you. But now I'm telling you, the only thing that you have to do really for your mother is to totally love her as she is and like Maharaji. What Whether is- it's chanting or, you know, just seeing through the illusion of separateness when you're with her or just hearing where her words are coming from and not buying into her story. Because mm. in a way, your story is her story. I mean, she taught you many of your stories. So That's right. And he needs a hyperlink to another level. It's not this story. We were just talking, Valerie, my girlfriend, you met Valerie. Yes. She says hello, by the way. Valerie Hi, and I Valerie. were talking about how it's so weird that people just in different places will grow up thinking music is different things. Like in Asia, it has a very different mm-hmm. sound. Mm-hmm. Of course, we know that. But I don't, I've never contemplated that. You know what I'm saying? So you're saying the story of like, this is music. My mom is teaching me this is life. This is reality. So when we get together, we're very well equipped to like get into that diorama. Do the same dance. And, 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 same and dance and, and just act out and the not, same and not right. disrupt each other, yes, really. Right. But what is unconditional? Because I'm, I'm fascinated going back to Jesus. Prophet with no honor, prophet in his hometown. You're from fucking Long Island. You know what I mean? Like, I have no honor in Long Island. <laughs> In that way, Jesus and I are very same. That may be the only way. Oh, we're also both Jewish. What, what does unconditional love with your family? Let's hypothet- We can keep it hypothetical if you'd like to leave them out of it. Some weird uncle who's vitriolic, who's who's gross, who's bringing you down, who's drinking yeah. three bottles of wine and 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 calling. There's no people. relative bringing you down. What do you mean? You, me, or anybody. You mean that down is in the is in the head of the beholder. There are difficult people that you don't like. There are people that hassle you. That you know they can even kill you, but they don't have to bring you down. Hmm. Gandhi, when he was shot by a radical um, a po- political opponent three times in the chest at point blank rage, he blessed the guy. He said, "Ram, Ram, Ram." Those are his last words. Hmm. So the guy took his life, but he didn't take away his spirit. He didn't bring him down. <laughs> I'm not going to say he raised them up. I'm just saying yeah. there are other ways of thinking about this. <laughs> That's the Jesus way, not just turn the other cheek. <laughs> Bless the guy that just shot you with your last breath. Ram, Ram, Ram. That's what he said. Maharaji's mantra. Yeah. This is history. Yeah. Mahatma Gandhi. A damn lawyer. <laughs> so he lifted himself. He was like a phoenix risen from the ashes. Yeah. New Gandhi. Mr. Gandhi. Mm-hmm. Mahatma Gandhi. When you're and so we and we can and we can too. It's not just one person. We have to occupy this space of spirit. I believe not just leave it to the one percent people, the Dalai Lama, or Thich Nhat Hanh, or the spiritual one percent. Yeah, we need to occupy. We have to occupy it and usher in the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> the, not wait for a Messiah. We're the ushers. Yeah. Okay. Bring it in now. Are there techniques? I know these, this is mind stuff. And I'm very interested. I'm listening to uh, Love, Serve, Remember, and uh, Love, Serve, Devotion, another LSD, which is Ram Dass's <laughs> talk. And he's talking all about becoming the teaching, which really yeah. makes sense to yes. me as, as an artist, as a comedian. I understand that I practiced writing, and now I'm always doing comedy. It's always happening. I don't think about it. It's not like I'm some sort of comedic genius. I'm just saying I don't have a... No, it's your way. It's like my way. It's Japanese. It's a do. Zen, do. 
Tai Chi Do. It's the place. It's the way. Chai. Chai Do of tea. It's a way. It's a way of life. So, so spirit becomes your way of life. Like that's my way of life. So I don't really think about what is my spiritual part of life and what's the mundane part. Right. You're, let, you're keeping all the windows open. Are there... So I, I'm, but I've been doing it a long time, so habituation is part of it. You practice until you do you remember become one with it, or or you get out of the way and it just happens through you. If you want to look at it that way, mm. so you you practice until it becomes second nature, and then the muse just comes through you. If you want to talk about it from the point of view of creativity, not just I'm doing this and I'm strategizing about the sales or the success or the. Out- well, Gary uh, Shanling yeah. and I talked about Critics. no mind. He kept talking about yeah. the the principle right. of no mind, so getting out of the way. That's the Zen principle: no mind yeah. with a hyphen, not being stupid. Yeah, but getting getting out of the le- linear left uh, left side of your brain and accessing the intuitive right side, gestalt side, grokking it all at Grocking. once, so that you make it. You know, you're, you're one with it, and that's a, a beautiful thing. And then everything you do is it, right? And not just that it's your job or or you, you're faking it. Are there techniques? I know that this is brain stuff. So I, I was I want I guess I'm trying to be impressive and be like, I know it's not about brain stuff. But people well, listen, head and heart and other things. There's, there's a body lot of head stuff. And energy that helps, and there's though, also relationship right? life, relational yoga. I guess the power that interests me the most is intellect. I think that's one of the fun toys to play with. So I'm interested in those mantras, those things. I like to say La- Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan friar who's amazing. Mm, amazing. Do you know him? I've never met him. I read his books. He's amazing, right? He's amazing. He's amazing. He's wonderful. We recommend him. <laughs> Falling upward, Richard Falling Rohr. upward changed my out. life. To humbly and proudly return what you've been given. That's the meaning of life is what he says. That's it's beautiful. It's on my wall. It's amazing. Uh, so he says love is saying is learning to say yes to what is. This is something I repeat. So to we're back all to acceptance and unconditional love and right. beyond liking and disliking. I was just I just wrote this in my journal yesterday. Uh, of course, he said it better, no doubt. But I, I, I can eat, not even in my journal. I started to learn I can take notes in my cell phone. Yeah. My hand, so I don't have to carry all these little notebooks around me. I've been mean, carrying them for do it. five years, fifteen. Then it's on the cloud, baby. Yeah. So what I wrote was, this is not the life that I want, but this is the life that I have and that I am, and that, that that's the good news. Mm. It was like, wow, hmm. like maybe this is not the life that I want, but I mean, that's is that thought even true? Hmm. Why am I buying that statement? I wish it was otherwise. I'm so conditioned to wish it was otherwise, just like your mother, mm-hmm. just like all of us. Right. And we grow up in that way to want to do better, to get ahead, to be different mm-hmm. or worse, to get facial reconstruction. And I'm not just talking about um, actor, actresses. Mm-hmm. My sister had a nose job when she was 14 in Long Island, mm. and she came back from the hospital all black and blue, and I was so pissed off. Mm. What did they do to Carol? Mm. It was violence to a child. Right. And so what's the message there? Hmm. You're not okay as you are. You're not, no one will love you as you are. Right. I am still pissed off about that, and I don't get angry easily. <laughs> but that's what we do to ourselves. Yeah. And each other. It's- and we have to break this pattern so that the new generations can be raised and educated much more in a holistic, you know, appreciating body, mind, and spirit, healthy, sane, wisdom for life way, which includes emotional intelligence and other, other things, not just intellectual intelligence and um, self-acceptance and 
understanding all different parts of ourselves, mm-hmm. warts and all, self-compassion, but isn't, warts and all. Isn't the nose job, uh, which is very moving to me as well and upsetting, uh, isn't that... It wasn't just my sister. It was, uh, I don't know what the percentages are because I don't study these things. Thousands of girls where I grew up in Long Island had nose jobs. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was Probably actually not just in Long that. Island. Yeah, I'm sure. just saying this is my research as a as a 12 year old, 15 year old. Right. What I observed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's infuriating. But isn't that just kind of like you're not okay, you're not loved, and and or this the soda will say you're not you're lovable enough for right. a, to to catch a husband. I was talking about as if that's the goal of life. This podcast comes out on Wednesdays, and every Tuesday about 4 a.m. I wake up, and I'm I'll just it, it's so routine. I'm it doesn't even disturb me that much. It's just about 10 minutes in the middle of the night. I'll wake up, and I'm like. Oh, hello. You kind of wave at it. <laughs> so it's fine. Uh, but it's the really unpacking that feeling is I said something. I'm, ta- I'm here talking about personal things with you. And I said something and they're going to know I'm a fraud. And they're going to and they're going to what if they stop loving me? And I don't even know who they is. Yeah. It's just like a base. No, it's the big day. It's a it's the a big, it's a big anxiety. It's what big, if they get it's the me? Big is other, the one. Yeah. Yeah. What if they get me? Well, that's what my anxiety is saying is what if they get you? Yes. <laughs> So I, I love a question. So let me play answer man. I, usually I'm the question man. I love your answers, I love, though. Uh, let me play answer man. You are a fraud. <laughs> Suck on that. I mean, how low can you go? That's how high you can rise, Pete. You are a goddamn fraud. I have never seen any such a fraud like you. I can't believe I'm even talking to you. But I can say the same thing to myself. Right. Because I'm, we're not who we think we are. And and we've donned a Halloween mask and an act and a persona and then forgot that we put it on. Mm. And so now we can't take it off. Mm. And we feel stuck with it. And then we feel like we don't like the life or the the relationships or the place that we have. But right. let's empower ourselves a little and realize we put it on. We can, you know, and we're, it, we're heavily, the bad news is we're heavily conditioned. That's the law of karma, but basically conditioning. Mm. And the good news is it's just conditioning. Mm. We can recondition and even decondition and, and find freedom. And then, you have. It's not that hard. <laughs> and then at that point, isn't this what we're talking about when we talk about life being play or a dance? Yes. And then things get lighter. We lighten up as well as enlighten up. Back to Zorba, the Buddha, and the Jolly Lama. <laughs> I, I, know, I know the Dalai Lama and some other real saints well. I never met the Pope, like I said. I, I know some of these people well. I'll make and a few they calls. are so light. Mm. And when you're with them, you know, like with Maharaji, you felt like you were the only person there. I mean, there was some other people, you, you, you know, you loved the other people, but I'm just saying. They, I understand. They were 100% with you, even if you're just shaking hands at you going down the line, because they're just, the heart is fully open. To, mm. And it's like soul to soul, not thinking, oh, I don't know this person, but I know that person. I'm going to talk to them longer. They became a place that allowed you to become love. Yes. Right? And you, they, it's like, this is just a descriptor, but they see the higher self or the soul or the, the, the Buddha, the divinity in you in, in a way that reflects to you that you have it. Mm. Like, in, the, in these spiritual superheroes, as I call them, which, whoever they may be, <laughs> your, your pantheon, yeah. you see it in them more than you see it in yourself. Mm. You, Pete, do, I do, ordinary people do. But they see it in you in a way that reflects it to you, so you can see it in yourself. Right. Because in the final analysis, it doesn't matter about them. Mm. The, <laughs> the guru, the, the saint, the prophet is just a door 
to the infinite, to God, to the universal, to, to beyond words. Mm-hmm. Don't get stuck in the door. Don't collect the door frames. Don't, or, don't get attached to the form. That's why when yeah. Maharaji died. So when you see it in yourself, yeah. that's what they're all about. It's not about them. Mm-hmm. And they don't want it to be about them either. God forbid. No. <laughs> and they always say it. And if you know any such per- people, they're very humble yeah. and uh, empowering and selfless. Yeah. Not foolish. Right. Not doormats, but selfless. Well, so here's Maharaji. Unselfish. And I, I was actually just reading this and, and listening to it, rather. The idea of Maharaji's giggle and, and being light. And, <laughs> yes, very light, and, very playful. And Ramdas says, after all mm. the years, it wasn't teaching, it wasn't uh, rhetoric, it was a giggle. It was a lightness yes. and it was a twinkle. Right. You hear all these things like being in love, you know yes, what I mean? it was. When I think about Valerie, it might be like the slope of her waist as she's sleeping. or so, You know what I mean? It's just like this, oh, what she feels like or, or smells like. You know what I mean? It's very romantic. And when I hear about touching feet and stuff, I start to understand that it wasn't that this guy gave you the knockout mantra that helped you in the car with your mother when you're driving home from Huntington Garden. It's that he was giggling and was light, wasn't in the world, was in the world but wasn't of the world. That's an important saying to remember. We don't hear it much today. In the world but not of it. So it's like a lotus grows in the mud but raises its head in the sun. Mm, mm. Yes. Um, he was very playful. He always called Maharaji um, my guru, he always called us the little rascals. His word was badmashi, but in English, the little rascals. We were just a mischievous bunch of troublemakers, like truants in the schoolyard. You know, and the good principal, the good teacher can accommodate that. They're not always fighting with them. Right, right, right. That's what Ramdas said you guys were good at uh, eating, sleeping, and gossiping. There's actually a, a term for this in Hindi. We, we practice the five limb yoga. I, oh, I said this the is. other day, and somebody said, oh, the five-limb yoga? I don't know about that. Tell me. So, of course, I milked it. So I said, yeah, the five-limb yoga is a very special practice at Maharaji's ashram that we perfected, the five-limb yoga. I milk it. And here is the five limbs in English. Yeah. Of course, they probably have fancy Sanskrit names, yeah, yeah, which they don't. Yeah, yeah. Pens are coming out, yeah, notebooks. Right. The five limbs are eating, sleeping, talking, drinking chai, yes. and wandering about yes that's it <laughs> in other words we were just there we didn't we weren't studying we weren't doing yoga we weren't meditating we weren't feeding the poor we weren't learning sanskrit i mean yeah. some people were sure you know because we were in india for a long time some of us but in, in general maharaji just what love and service and being in the presence of god yeah see god and, in everyone see god in everyone and love every serve everyone serve save us serve god through serving the lowest mm. And that's an awesome practice. So mm-hmm. we started to save a foundation in the late seventies, including Ramdas and but he likes the, and others. He, he likes so excuse me, the uh, the chaos of it. He, well, he played with it. He was a very old, saintly person. He didn't have a, an agenda. He wasn't trying to make an institution. But he was think, a wandering when holy we person. Think of holy, even holy people. I think they want a certain vibe at the ashram. Well, or the some temple, of them do. Know? Some of them do. He wasn't an ashram Baba. He was a wandering yeah. holy man. So uh, that's one thing. But um, we also have, you know, our own, like, limited ideas about this. We only see a slice of it. Mm. We don't see the year round or the decades long. Like people say to me, why, you're a Buddhist Lama in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. Why do you have, a, your first guru was a Hindu guru? Mm. So we didn't, rely, most of us, we didn't go there to find Hinduism or Buddhism. We went there to find God or find mm-hmm. ourselves or peace or become a light, a peace in the world or something. And, you know, I never related to him as a Hindu guru. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't study 
Sanskrit and Hinduism really. I mean, we used to sing, and he would say sing, and we were like, I mean, I was 21 years old. Sing, okay. <laughs> okay, Baba, I mean, Grandpa, whatever. Mm-hmm. He's 85, and I'm, I'm, I'm 21. And we'll sing. I'll sing I, with my friends. I can't. I say it so often that I apologize to the listeners, but it's uh, my, one of my favorite Ram Dazi teachings is you don't want to be a Hindu, you want to be free. And you don't exactly. want to be a Buddhist, you right. want to be free. Yes. And I just, I, no one's saying that. Well, everyone's saying it's a good thing to say. Come, come join me, and you'll well, be not, not everyone. It's not not everyone. Every, there are more. But I'm 36. LSD. I'm 36. I'm yeah. just finding. Imagine who's so listening. Some 18 year old to I them. Do imagine. <laughs> yes, that's who I'm talking to. It's almost too late for us. I think you got to get them while they're young. <laughs> and that's why I say, you know, if we treated every child. And by child, I mean really the three-year-old, the five-year-old, and the eight-year-old. Like, they were the next Dalai Lama. Mm. You know, like they were a reincarnate Lama, like in Tibet. If you have that status, you get the best treatment mm-hmm. and culture and education. We should treat, if we, if we could treat every child like that, our education system, our society, our world would be totally transformed. Mm. So admittedly, that's a very idealistic goal, but I'm going to keep putting it forth. And, but, because we're far from that. What you're really saying, though, is the way to that isn't more. It's actually less. It might be less. It's stripping away of the diorama. Yes. And it's, and, and it's saying like, hey, that's, you're really helping me understand what enlightenment kind of feels like. Is like, wait a minute. All the players, all of this stuff, there is no tiger chasing you. That's let's right. just let it go. Yes. And let, let's love this baby and let's love this eight-year-old and let's do less let's rather than worship more. them. As yeah. the baby Krishna, as the baby Jesus, as the next Dalai Lama baby. It's funny, that's another... Not just look for one Dalai Lama baby if this one should, God forbid, uh, die. Yeah. Let's right. look at it, back to ushering the kingdom of heaven, not waiting for one Messiah, being right. that collectively ourselves the Messiah. Well, again, going back to uh, Valerie's, one of the things I think about is I'm like, I don't really have a kick-ass practice. I, I, li- I love meditating. I like chanting, and usually on the elliptical, all that sort of stuff. But I'm not like a hard regimented guy i'm not a big purity guy i'm not a big like code guy but like i do so i was thinking i was like what is one of my practices and i was like i love valerie so much and it's one of the ways that i'm loving god i tell her all the time everyone knows i say this it's a tignaton thing is i go i see you in there i just think that's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful practice and to try and love her as maharaji or as christ or as buddha or as as god whatever you call it doesn't matter and and then i also try and this is a tricky one be unattached to her form. That it's too scary. The the idea of something happening, as you said, God forbid, to the Dalai Lama. I have the same yeah. feeling for Valerie, right. but I'm also at the same time, even though it's really gross, try and practice some sort of. I know this isn't you, even though I talked about the slope of her hips and the smell and the touch. Well, all that's beautiful, Pete. I mean, you have to get down to particular, not just loving everybody, but loving someone and loving something. Mm. If it's for you, if it's a slope or the hips, you know. <laughs> I mean, in, in spiritual traditions, they talk about, you mentioned this before, the guru's lotus feet mm-hmm. or, or, or their lotus face. Mm. So it's just a sublimation of the same thing, of appreciating what's there as the divine. That's right. And I think it's got to be something else later in some other after we die or in some other holy land or a trinket or, or, a, or a trinket or it has to be or a, a pope or a, a holy person that the, that's why i said back to every child and every baby mm-hmm. and every even animal and every moment george harrison talks about 
he was like, he got so angry, like I did, at the idea of God being a man in the sky with a beard. And then at the end of his life, he was like, it's that too. <laughs> he was like, That's too, exactly. He's like, if you want it to be, it's also that, yeah. I never heard that. That's Isn't that great. fun? Thank you for sharing <laughs> that. Yes, we love George. It's just like, relax, relax, relax. It can be in your lover. It can, you can be, be a man in the sky. Whatever you'd like. You can be. And it also doesn't have to be God. It could just be goodness. It could just be family and virtue and community and earth. Mm. The green earth is the goddess. It's a living. I'm not going to go down the Gaia hypothesis road. I'm just saying that everything is it. In, in tantric Buddhism, we say the whole universe is my body, all beings, my heart and soul. Mm. Mm. So that's like a bigger frame. Mm-hmm. Not I'm a little co- just a little cog in the wheel. Mm-hmm. Or even I'm just a little bubble in the sea. Yeah, a bubble at, in the sea is the sea. Mm. And you don't have to die and pop it or slay your ego to see through yourself and see <laughs> a the vast sea <laughs> of which you're a part of and yeah. through and through. Yeah. Maharaji, divine, beautiful, whatever you want to call it. I love that. You all don't the have way to, through. We've been working nature. on that is enjoying the – I'm in the ego business. I – build up Pete Holmes. I say he'll be somewhere and he arrives and there he is. And that is what I'm paid for. Well, so we're I'm all in the that business. Uh, yeah, exactly. Isn't that right? I mean, that's what we're all that. Isn't business, that right? You know? <laughs> yeah. One of my friends collected an anthology of Buddhist fictions and, and, and you know, she asked me to write something. So I wrote a very short, short, short story, like one paragraph. But, um, I said, you know, in the introduction, I said, you know, it's all Buddhist fiction. Mm. Mm. Because of the dreamlike nature of things. But uh, more, uh, more to your point, let me go further. You know, we both speak a, a lot and have an act or a per- public sure. personality or a reputation. So, um, and we work at it, doing it well. And for certain reasons, we have our intentions. Or all. So, uh, but, but I realized that it's kind of like going to the karaoke bar. You just have to mouth the words. Mm-hmm. And whatever they need to hear, they will hear. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying everybody always understands what's being said, but let's not think that we're doing it all. Let's not fall into the illusion that I, Pete Holmes, I, Lama Suridas, yes. who are holding the mic, is doing it all. Well, There's that's... something bigger coming through us, whether it's all the generations that have produced us, or it's the great um, transpersonal divine being that's coming through our individual egos, mm-hmm. like back to... We're the tip of the iceberg of this great transpersonal being, and it's not separate. Mm -hmm. And we may feel far from it, but I guarantee you it's not far from us. Mm -hmm. Well, David Nichter uh, talked about uh, people would get from Maharaji what they they needed. It would be the same thing. And I think there's something really beautiful in what you said. It's kind of like when Christ says, ears to hear, you know what I mean? Like, right. Take what take what you're getting. Let it, yeah, and Ramdas right. always says, "Let it wash through you. Don't cling to it." Like Chinese food is his joke. He always says, yes. "Let it run through you. It's okay." Right. And I think that's very interesting that two people can hear the same thing and get a different thing, and that our psychology and our personality and our history is a part of that. I love that Ramdas admits that Maharaji had a psychological appeal to him because of his. He doesn't say father issues. I'm going to say father yes, issues. Right. And Ramdas has an appeal to me because of my father issues. He's from Boston. <laughs> yeah. Every time he says towards <laughs> instead of towards, I go dad. <laughs> and the teaching sinks in more. It's like the massage getting the oil in. You know what yeah. I mean? Yes. I, I know you do. <laughs> Would you tell? That's why we love Ramdas. I know. Because he's so much, you know, like well, you his f- background. He, you followed him Education on the first trip. And- uh, no, no, no. I, I met him there. 
You met him there? I'm, I'm younger than him, so I, I met him there. You were I, already there. I met him in college when he came back from India in 68 or 69. I was in college, University of Buffalo. Mm. A Jew B, as we used to call it. <laughs> and um, chanted with him and other people, you know, the Hare Krishnas and went to yoga class and Allen Ginsberg came back from India and told stories and played the harmonium and chanted. But I couldn't went really into it then. When I graduated from college in 71, then I went over there. Mm. And that's when I met him and our satsang gang and Maharaji, of course, mm. who gave me my name. Wow. So that's not the, ty- the typical story is somebody read Be Here Now or heard a lecture and then they all went out. Well, there was no Be Here Now at that time. Be Here Now probably came out in 71. So, it, yeah, 71, I think. You know. so, and how did you f- come about Maharaji? I was at a Buddhist meditation. For me, uh, Buddhist meditation seems to come for, always come first. So it's just my karma, I guess. I didn't choose that. Like I said, remember about the karaoke. You just mouth the words and whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was at a Buddhist meditation course, and I met all those people. Mm. And, and you, then they were going to see Maharaji. And I said, what do you do there? What, you know, do you meditate? They said, just walk, you know, chant and sing and eat sweets. And, and you know, I said, what do I need that for? So I didn't go. I went to Nepal to be with my Lama friends and learn Tibetan and all that. But then it's about not a six great months. About it's not six, a great no, about six months later, <laughs> I met some of them again in Bodh Gaya near the Bodhi tree where Buddha sat. This was like January of 1972 now. And we were in some 10-day mindfulness courses with Gwenkaji near the tree. And then mm. they went to Allahabad to Dada's house, Maharaji's translator and devotee. And so um, I went sort of with them on the train and, you know. That's how I met Maharaj. And did you feel that sort of Krishna Das talked about, about the? I heard about him from those people. The like, look on their face, like something was something was contagious or rubbing off or exciting. At the very least, exciting. Well, we were in a ten-day silent, all-day cloistered. Did I say silent yet? No yeah. food afternoon <laughs> meditation course. But somehow, one of them gave me a picture of Maharaji. <laughs> Though sneak. <laughs> you were the little rascal. And I was sensory. Of course we were. We are and we always may we always be. <laughs> and there was something in their mischievous faces and more important hearts and mm. how they embraced me. They didn't know me. I mean, who was I? Mm-hmm. You were yet to be the Dalai Lama. I, I was nobody, and they treated someone. me like somebody that was welcome. They raised and, you like the Dalai Lama. And, and yeah. And, and there was the love and the acceptance. Mm. And um, so... I was attracted. Mm. And the picture, I still have that picture. It has a big incense burn mark across it because I've had it for like 45 years. Oh, my goodness. And uh, I still have that picture. Remember, Tukaram gave it to me. And, you know, I went over there and had Maharaji's darshan and stuck around that year and the next year on and off. And, and is it name. like a lot of Maharaji's stories? Is it kind of, and I, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to offend you, unremarkable? I like when Ramdas is like, it was an old man on a blanket. Some people showed up and was like, A lot of people this? showed up and, and, and kept going. Yeah. But like I said, the first time I heard about it, in some detail. Yeah. But my questions were, remember, you hear what you need to hear. Mm. Or, or different personalities, different courses. different. I said, do you meditate there? Do, you know, what does he teach? Mm-hmm. What's the schedule? Mm. And they said, there was none. We hang around it's and riff chant your time. And so I didn't go. I went to Nepal yeah, yeah, yeah. to be with Tibetan lamas and learn Tibetan and study Buddhism and meditate yeah, more. To do what you wanted to yeah, do. Yeah, what I thought I should do, being a New York And then you walked in, though. Uh, and then the next winter, when I went to more of those Buddhist courses and those people were there, and then they were going again to be with Maharaji. So then I went. 
And did you have – this is so – I'm just aware of myself looking for some sort of – remember when we were in Maui and I asked you for a miracle story? Yes. And I think it's interesting. Who was it that said I give people what they want so they'll want what I give? I don't know. Isn't that That's a good, a good one? Though? He's like I, I yes. give them miracle stories so, right. they'll, so they'll, they'll stick around right. for the, the real stuff. Yeah. And here I am asking though, again, same knot, asking you for some sort of – and I saw Maharaji and I felt – story. Because they're fun. <laughs> when I saw Maharaji, I didn't feel ah, but that's probably what you would feel, Pete. Because ah, oh no, that's, where it's at. That's the- no, shut up. Just giving you giving you the stick. You so can you'll break run. my balls, you no, New no. York yes, Jew. Yes, exactly. I love Just give you the New York banter for what you deserve. Yes, please. No, seriously. I told you that miracle story, um, which you pulled out of me. You remember about my Lama calling on the phone and saying he had a dream and the guru told him that I had something wrong with my back. Yes, that's right. I love that. And he was calling from across the world in his one phone call of 10 years and leaving it on my answering machine. And so I was quite surprised. And then I went and got an MR or whatever it was in those days. Yes. In the the 90s. Probably a CAT scan, whatever. And I had a giant kidney stone in the lower part of my, just where they said from this dream of the guru. That's amazing. And that, and that, so that's a miracle. Yes. But, but more than miracle is like you, when I went and saw Maharaji hmm. who I couldn't figure out what, I wasn't looking for Hinduism or a guru or I couldn't figure out what he was, te- you know, the way I was thinking, what could I learn? What was he teaching? How am I going to get enlightened? Mm-hmm. How is this going to help me be wiser or more loving? Nobody was explaining. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> in, to, to my rational, demanding, intellectual way, mm-hmm. linear way, engineering approach way. And as soon as I walked in there and there was this kirtan, this chanting going on, and I sat down and I was so welcomed and sat with the satsang with my spiritual brothers and sisters. Maharaji wasn't in the room. He was in his own room. He wasn't in the living room. Mm-hmm. And I sat there. My heart just opened like a, a sunflower. Like, mm. and, I, and I had darshan. I had divine audience with the, the big Maharaji, not mm-hmm. the old Indian man who was in the room, mm. in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. His picture was there on the altar and everybody was singing to him. But I had darshan of the big, the universal mm-hmm. guru, not which is Karoli the one, Baba. Right. And then about an hour later, I was brought in to meet the guru and then would see him every day. And eventually he gave me my name. But, you know, I had ready to, without seeing him. And I say that first, that's like a miracle to me because I really saw him. I've never seen him better. Seen means perceived, experienced, one with, embraced by, in love with. Mm. Never more in person since. That was enough. Hmm. I mean, but I stayed around, and over the decades, you know, from being with others who have this kind of spiritual life, you know, it deepens. Mm -hmm. Like the wine is in the bottle, but it gets better year by year, Hmm. not by adding and subtracting and shaking it. Hmm. But I partly say that to you and to really, I always say this to listeners and people who are interested, because like like Jesus said, doubting Thomas, Thomas, you had to touch me to believe it was me. But more blessed are they who don't have to touch the physical and yet believe. Mm-hmm. So those of you who can feel touched by it without having met... The, even better. The man, even, even deeper. Well, that's Bigger, my... The that, big Maharaji, the universal... Well, that's truth. the one I'm after. I've, I'll yeah, never meet right. that one. That yeah. one's long gone. Yeah. That's the real Maharaji, beyond yeah. go, coming and going. Yeah. Like people say, Jesus entered my life, you know, the, even now. So I wouldn't say Jesus is long gone. That's exactly right. I just that's mean his I'm body. Yeah. He's cremated and right. we can't that, find that's it. That's the point. 
Right. And, you know, you're welcome to go to India and meet gurus and or even here, and, you know, it's good. But um, there's the outer guru and the inner guru and then the secret guru, which is more subtle, like universal, formless truth or divine reality. Or That's the miracle for me, that he gave me that darshan, like mm. divine audience or vision, not just with the eyes of my own whole, complete wholeness and oneness, like... You, know, you can't go around saying, I was God. I mean, I was 22 years old. Like, I didn't know my ass from a hole in the ground. <laughs> and a hippie wandering around in India from ashram to monastery to mountain to desert. But I experienced, you know, after that, whenever I read the scriptures that I didn't believe in before, oh, that's what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Isn't that fun? The Godhead. Yeah. The Buddha within. Yeah. The inner light. Yeah. It's all within. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so crazy. You don't have to die. To, you know, it's not after you die and sit at the feet of God, right hand of God. It was like, oh, mm. there's a there there. Mm-hmm. Kind of like I was there. It was, it's here. Mm. The clouds of my conditioning may have obscured it, but the sun is here behind the clouds even mm. now. <laughs> that was the miracle for me. So I wish that for you and for really anybody that's interested in these things. You know, maybe it's not for everybody, but for those who are interested in it. And there's a great spiritual hunger and need for this kind of coming home to one's true self or soul. Or well, there's, the a pain, spirit level. there's a pain. We have to find a way right? to do that. Wouldn't you say? I, yeah, I, the pain of separation. I said to Zach Leary, I did his podcast, I talk about we were yanked from something worse than a vagina. Yes. So there's a, there's a maternal the pain, ache of the divine. The pain of suffering and longing. But that's part of the divine dance of... Uh, reeling you back in it's planted in you for yeah. a reason right we think that we are looking for or running after it by whatever name let's say god which is a convenient placeholder to talk in english but it god is really chasing after or it wants lo- you looking for us hound of heaven yeah yeah that's looking right for us I, and if if you look if you look around today in various dimensions bestseller, poetry, most popular is Rumi, the great Sufi mystic mm-hmm. of, I don't know, four or five hundred years ago. And his whole, every one of his poems is a longing for God. Mm-hmm. He is, he's always like missing God and longing for God and trying to get back. He was a saint and a sage. He's talking to God day and night, mm-hmm. but it's in the form of longing. That's his relationship. Mm. Because he's in a theistic or dualistic kind of tradition, that's their way of like um, coming back is kind of calling and longing like, oh, mommy, daddy, where are you? Where are you? That's, you know, the, the way of invoking that presence. Mm. So this longing, this, we need to experience separation and the pain of it to individuate in order to return to the wholeness that we started with and not just be an embryo attached by an umbilical cord, not puerile, childish yeah. oneness, but transcendent, transpersonal oneness. Well, that's, that's the uh, round talks about. That. There isn't a glitch in the system. Your yeah. forgetting is part yeah. of the process. Yes. yes, it is the divine Leela. It is the, the God's um, play or sport. Mm. That's, what, that's what they say. I've been thinking a lot about enlightenment or freedom or whatever and the way that I catch my brain turning it into, if you'll pardon the crudity, turning it into tits. <laughs> <laughs> You don't yes, understand? but we all want to suck on God's tits. That's why goddess yeah. or Mary or other female forms <laughs> yeah. are so popular. That's interesting. We're blurring Are that. so popular. Yeah, yeah. I, I said to recently in a little chat I was giving, um, we're all, like, when I leave the house, my dog will 
at my shoe and sniff my shoe and stuff. And I'm like, oh, we're all sniffing yes, God's shoe. Right. Like I'm just like waiting for it to come back. Well, and like, we're not that different than the dogs. We all have our place. Well, don't people say Krishna's dogs? Isn't that like a Hare Krishna thing? Yes. They wear little leashes and stuff. Yeah. And I understand. I, Duncan Trussell and I were talking about that. We thought that was like a degrading. Like, I'm not a dog. But then it was like, oh, no, the way I am with my dog, I kind you of feel that way. You have to look at it in, in a different culture. You know, like, since you mentioned Krishna and the dogs, Krishna is famous for being surrounded by all the gopis, the milkmaids. Mm. So from our point of view, that looks very macho and harem-like. But what the mystics see is that there, there is God full entire for each soul. Mm. Not God as a bigamist. That each soul has God one-on-one. Mm. The beta God. Not sharing it with all the others. That's interesting. Krishna and the circle of gopis, the, the many. It's the one in the many. There is, you know, God is one-on-one with me and with you and with her. Not just shared or harem or, you mm. know, the forgotten older wives because the new wives have come. Not that. Mm. So... There's always the outer and the cultural aspect of it, but there's also the inner or the meaning level that we can look at. And then even deeper is the secret teaching or the mystical oneness level. Hmm. And that's a beautiful image then if you see it that way. And that's why I say <clears throat> when I see the Dalai Lama shaking hands with everybody who works in the hotel when he goes leaves the hotel to go to the next city, in each of those people, he seems to be so one-on-one with them and unhurried. It's an unbelievable teaching to me hmm. about how to treat others as the most important thing, a moment, or being in the world. Mm. And how we can cultivate that presence. That's why I like meditation and mindfulness and spiritual practices helps us recondition. So instead of being distracted or always looking for the next thing, or the Subconsciously thing, thinking the next moment will yeah, be better. We can lean back into it fully 100%. Once I'm done shaking these hands, I'll be happy. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, or how many hands there are. He's not thinking about how long the line is yeah. because he's not going anywhere. Right. If he's can, walking out of the hotel, yeah. shaking them one by one, yeah. but he's not feeling like right. He's he's he, he, you know when this is done, it'll be good because he's not going. You know, this is called staying, being mm. where you are, being one with who you are, staying. The mm-hmm. mystics call it. I'm, my friend Shane Moss did this podcast, and I'm not act, I'm not actually going to ask you about psychedelics, but he said something interesting that I'd like to ask <laughs> you. He was like he he smoked a lot of DMT. That's like something he loves to do. And then he said one of the things that taught me was that this world he could see a reality where you take something and you're here. And he and his example like we we all go to these places, LSE or mushrooms or whatever it is, or some people do, and they go like, oh, and I learned this. I saw it was revealed to me this kind of I saw a spinning wheel and life and yeah, death right. and old age and oh, what what an epiphany. And he was like, well, I think you could have taken something. I'm not saying literally. You could look at this world and be like, oh, there's money and there's success you and could. you're climbing. Right. And when I watch like The Price Is Right, I'm like this. I have actually never taken LSD, but I'm like, uh, this feels like an acid trip. They're like, oh, you want a car? We're going to take poor people and put them in a place and make them play games for a car. If that doesn't feel like a psychedelic experience, I I have had other ones. It is, right? What are you getting from this world? What do you see? Well, from this trip. I don't think we have to level everything, you know, as if it's all the same. There's, you know, the difference between being sick and being healthy and helping someone and harming them and perceiving that you're not separate when you're on LSD is not, I think, the same kind of um, vision as seeing the Price is Right, you know, game show 
Because mm-hmm. the consciousness is different. Mm-hmm. You're much more immersed, probably, in, in a deeper level of consciousness when you have those LSD realizations about the nature of self and other and, and inseparability. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I think that um, I've been learning to love, love, accept, embrace see through the illusion separate with everyone and everything as my like Maharaji worship or practice. Mm. So uh, now, you know, maybe I didn't watch television in the seventies and eighties while I was a Buddhist monk and I was intensely on this path and I lived in Asia and Himalayas and all or read newspapers. But now it's all just part of the show because that stuff is almost as exotic to me as the stuff I saw in Asia, you know, the mm-hmm. yogis levitating or long life, Empowerments or or incredible things that one, one could experience. The, the prices right in the newspaper is kind of like how yeah. strange that was to you. Right. Then. So I mean, it's just like we have to just walk along here on Sunset Strip at night to see, yeah. you know, the, the, to realize the dreamlike nature of reality, even though it's all based on engineering and science. It's mm-hmm. not biochemically induced. Mm. So the consensual reality is also like a very rich fodder for seeing through the illusions that afflict us, mm-hmm. like that, that we're separate from it. So we create that, we create this, we, you know, we, not just like I intentionally, but my unconscious and our group conditioning creates this. When you were doing your, doing your time, but when you were in the Himalayas and all that stuff, uh, in temples, am I using the right words, shrines, all mm-hmm. that stuff, were you Retreats, doing dream yoga? Were, yeah. you, were you trying to yes. use your sleep as a practice? Yes. Because I think that's very valuable. We talk about that a lot on the show. I, I'm a fairly okay lucid dreamer, and every time I'm there, it really does feel like a strange mini-enlightenment. Yes. You're like, oh, this is fake. And You know right. what I mean? That's the idea. But, but it feels exactly real. Right. That's what I can't say it enough on this part, or to anyone, or to, just to you guys. A dream feels exactly like this. Yes. Exactly like this. It is. That's why in Tibetan... Dream yoga, we say that there are six different kinds of bardos or in-between, and one of them is dream, Mm. one of them is meditation, one of them is after death and before rebirth, Mm -hmm. one of them is orgasm, (laughs) and so on, because these are states where you're not bound by your usual subject-object dichotomy or self-other split. You're knocked out of it a little bit. Yeah, you're knocked out of it, and things are a little more plastic. You can play with the dream easier than you can play with this daydream, which seems so solid mm-hmm. and you can't walk through walls or ceilings in this daydream, but in a dr- night dream, maybe you can. Right. So lucid dreaming is psych- modern psychology's version of this ancient Buddhist and, and Hindu uh, dream yoga. Mm-hmm. And we practice that. We do sitting up all night and doing that and awakening in the dream and knowing you're asleep, mm. knowing you're dreaming well, that's while what... you're still asleep. And then you play with it. So you become, here's the important part master rather than victim of circumstances and conditions so you're not just it's happening to you 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 can play with it manipulate it Mm. and then it carries over into the daydream so you feel master rather than victim of circumstances and conditions which brings what i would call the big payoff which is to realize it's not what happens to us but what we make of it Mm. that makes all the difference Mm. it's not what happens to us but what we make of it that puts that you back into control. our character and karma and destiny, yes. Well, isn't that the beautiful right. thing about that's a, self-mastery. a lucid dreamer realizing you're dreaming is you can go, stop chasing me. Yes. Literally, if you're having a right. nightmare, like, yeah. stop. Or just fly somewhere or else. Or fly away or, or just real. Right. Like, when I was a kid, I used to yell, cut. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd go, cut. 
we got it. And I could tell they were confused, That's all the hilarious. barbarian In orbs. your dreams? Yeah, I'd go cut. That's great. And I also figured out a way to wake myself up, which always worked, which was a Well, button. that must have been your showbiz karma coming out. <laughs> but cut's a great metaphor. I'm liking this. I can get some, I get some mileage out of this. Because in, in Tibetan Buddhism, in the highest mysticism, Dzogchen of Tibetan Buddhism, we call the meditation cutting through. Mm. So you kind of cut, cut. through everything. <laughs> you see? It's really seeing through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like... Chopping it to pieces it just means pulverizing. Sort of like, no matter how solid it is, it's really also transparent, right. translucent, unreal. Right. If you have a penetrating gaze, if you really put your focused your samadhi, your like focused laser-like awareness on it, mm-hmm. not just our usual half-distracted kind of um, foggy awareness, so where we don't really know what's happening, what we're doing right. so much of the time, foggy awareness. <laughs> Like the clouds that yeah, you were saying and right. the sun being there all the while. Right. I think that feeling, it's a mini enlightenment is to wake up in your dream. Yes. And and my favorite, and I've been talking about this on the podcast, is thinking you're in high school again and you have a test and then realizing you don't, I think is the feeling of what it might be like in this life to go, like when Ramdas shoveled snow, when he took psilocybin the first time, he was like, I can do it. There's no test. Yeah. I'm going to shovel the snow. It doesn't yeah. matter. Right. Like this is all just kind of a... This is also a dream. Yes. It's very interesting right. to me. So it's like a dream. Of course, there are dreams and there's day dream, waking and people have hallucinations, you know, so not to level at all. It's not right. a simple, overly simplistic way of saying it would be say it's all the same. It's not all the same. We can have discriminating and discerning awareness and understand what's helpful and harmful and everything else, mm-hmm. as well as also see the equality of all in the bigger picture. Like in terms of geologic time and space and the millennia and the big eras doesn't matter that much if you have a bad hair day mm-hmm. or bad hair life for that matter <laughs> that's wonderful and you know we live 40 years 60 years 80 years 90 years and that's great but it's only second on the cosmic clock and we're only one of the seven billion humans not to mention the trillion gazillion beings on the planet mm. just now not to mention over the last hundred thousand years mm-hmm so nothing matters as much as we think it does, but every, still everything counts mm. in its way. That's important. Mm. So it's not either or. Everything counts. Doesn't it matter if you kiss your kid before they go to school or if you kick them? I mean, you should be locked up if you don't think that. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. It matters. Every little thing counts. Right. And, and it goes down the generations, those little things, too. Mm-hmm. Not just one small thing now. So everything's really important and everything is also very yes. empty. That's why we want to be That's very, what I'm to, be very because, present and have a loving awareness, but empty. Like, see through it, but also see what it is. Right. Ramdas says, I'll give you vitally important if you take empty. Yeah. And I'll give you empty if you take right. vitally important. So that, that's a beautiful, you know, deep thought yeah and and how we can realize that i think is a good question for each of us and all of us you know how we can bring that into our life not just whether whether we believe in some god or religion or go to church or not Mm. or even meditate or do yoga that's good but what about the other you know all the many hours and actions and intentions in the week right so that's where we have to bring our penetrating awareness and open heart you know illumined mind and and um let's say, uh, good energy, altruistic energy too, I think. Not loving action, not just intention or, or wisdom, but also compassion and action. Right. That's, that's great. 
Uh, I'd be remiss to not talk about death because no one – I'm so tired of not talking about it, so I talk about it a lot. We all go around kind of not talking about it. And I ask Christian – Well, it's well hidden in our culture. Yeah. If you go in the third world or other places, it's more vivid in the street or, you know, in the cremation grounds or floating in the rivers and so on. Mm. And here we put the old people away and we – the cemeteries are out of sight and all. So mm-hmm. it's good to think about this because death is so much part of life. And I think it'll help us value life and cherish this miraculous gift of life. We're well, puts a clock on it. To think that I'm going to die, you're going to die. You know, the important great people died. And who knows how long we have to live or to love our, our beloved, your Valerie or, mm-hmm. or whoever it is. Love our beautiful world. Mm-hmm. Spend time, you know, prioritize what's important to us, not just. Life is not just a to-do list, and sometimes on the treadmill of events, we forget that life is not just a to-do list. Mm-hmm. And uh, and death helps; it gives a it gives an urgency. Yes. In uh, in writing, you know, I've done some comedy writing and whatnot. We say put a, put a clock on it. It's this idea you need to add urgency. You know what I mean? Like to give the story uh-huh. some juice. So here's death, kind of giving every like. We talk about ice cream tasting better because you know you're going to die as opposed to a, a limitless, blissful experience where you, it seems kind of dull. Duncan talks about electing to play a game, but you wouldn't want to play a game that lasted forever. It gives it the stakes and it gives it the juice. So just to really talk about this, I feel like – although I studied this and it's a big you know, part of the Eastern studies and you know, everything is impermanent and death and all – I kind of I know I'm an adult. I'm just talking like personally now. Please. Like, you know, Jeff Miller from Long Island, you know. Jeffrey. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm going to die, but I can't hardly believe it. I don't believe it. It's like I a- mean, I could also say I believe I'm going to die, but I don't know it. But that's just mincing words. Uh, There's just a gap. Yeah. Maybe you, you see what I'm saying? I do. So you know, the great. Like, I've never experienced that, I think. I don't know. How could there be, how could there be anything if I'm not here? That's I just right. can't believe it. I mean, how could that. And your awareness, happen? right? How old are you? 65. Wow, you look great. How old. Meditation. Uh, your awareness, I have to think, doesn't feel any older than it did when you no. were. And no. that's what's. Re- I don't think people think about that. I think we think that you start to fall asleep. And I know there are degrading diseases and stuff, and there's dementia and all that. Right, but in general. But in general, it's still you, Jeffrey yeah. Miller, and you're there. Well, that's an amusing part of the story, isn't it, Pete? That our identity it doesn't seem to change. We think it doesn't change. So maybe as a. This is why old so people don't just, want to stop driving. Right. <laughs> or, do, or anything. Or anything. I, mean, I who, get it. Who wants to stop it's doing those things? It's still you. And this is what I contemplate all the time. It will be me, this me that's speaking to you. It will be this one dying on a hospital bed or whatever it may be. All the many ways you can die. It won't – Woody Allen, great joke. He goes, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there yes. when it happens. Wonderful. And I think we all do that. I've made this yes. point countless times. We think of our death in the third person and, I, and it's too scary. I actually – I think I, it's not as scary because I practice it thinking about it will be me. This me will be at some point going if – it, if it's not like an instantaneous thing, I'll be like, well – here we go. Like, buckle up. <laughs> like, this is this is death. I'm here, and it'll be this alert consciousness, not well, just some fading, sleepy old person. We give you let's morphine. Ho- let's and hope stuff. it that it's that way because of pain 
and sure. degeneration of the brain and also the drugs and all who knows how right. conscious and intentional we can be at that time. But but we can practice and, and you know, get used to it so it becomes second nature. So we're ready to be there when we're there. Right. Even if we don't have the intention, but we're still Well that's there. the idea by cultivating natural awareness even without we always may not, we because, not have the will. Right. But we might still be aware. So what I feel is um again just speaking personally that if I may that um I'm very interested to see what happens when I die. Hmm. Almost like, I'm not a scientist, but, you know, like a almost scientific way, like what's going to happen in the inner and the outer and how, how can I be aware during it? And like, I learned I could be aware falling asleep and into the dream through hmm. Tibetan dream yoga and the whole way. dreaming. And, I, and according to our uh, diamond path of Vajrayana, Tibetan Buddhist practice, you can go into the clear light and be aware as you breathe your last, because it's not your, your spirit or your awareness breathing your last, it's your body breathing your last. So, and you can go into the next transition phase, that aware. So that's kind of the things I'm working on, resting in that clear light. and Not panicking. I think that's such a funny... And getting used to that. Yeah. And who dies? Right. Like, since you say that you're the same person, you know, in all these decades and all, even though the body's changed and thoughts and other things, then, you know, maybe there's some part of us, it's not just our ego or personality, how we usually think of our ident- self-identity, that it's a deeper transpersonal being or our inner true self, our soul level, that then, um, since it's not changing through all these decades from infancy to teens to young adulthood to old age, I mean, just according to the way we're thinking, mm-hmm. if that's true, then it's not really being born and dying. It's the body being born and dying. So why would it end just because your body's breathing this last? I mean, that's an age-old question it's, about the nature of soul or spirit or true self, you know, transpersonal being, not just separate ego, personality, individual self. I'm reminded how difficult it is, though. Ramdas had a stroke, thought he was dying, and he said he panicked. He didn't have one holy thought. Isn't that interesting? I think that's great. And he yeah. said, it means I have more work to do. But he's also very honest and self-deprecating even yeah. for fun. <laughs> but he knows. We all know Well, that was a long time ago, extent. too. Yeah. That was a long time yeah. ago. But the idea of, okay, if we are the wave in the ocean, and it's all awareness, and we're the wave... If you watch a wave break and spread out on the sand and it makes that sound and gets sucked back in, it does seem a daunting task if I'm that wave. Even though I'm spreading, I'm soaking into the sand, I'm getting pulled back. It's a, it might be as difficult to ask a wave to remember that it's a wave as, it, as it's disintegrating yeah. and well, getting sucked back in. Just relax. The craziest it, thing that's never happened to you right. is happening. Well, relax. Well, that's why I, I, I don't practice remembering. I practice resting in the clear light, which mm. is then a joyous, free, and blissful state. So you don't really have to remember when you're Your Buddha you're mind, is that, is that, that what they yeah. mean when they say the Buddha yeah. mind? Yeah, so you, you don't fear be, losing because you're not losing. It's like shaking every hand at the hotel. Yeah, it's right. letting go. If you're not going anywhere, there's no hurry. Right. Even though you may be processing through toward the door. You're not and there's no attachment to get there. Right. He's not attached yes. to getting to the car. Yeah. Yeah. He's not attached about right. one less clammy hand. Yeah. He's just there. So when you're dying, you're just in that place. You're of, just dying. You're just dying. And, and that's what his <laughs> headmaster said. What, 
what should you do when you die? And the Zen master said, just die. <laughs> For some of us New Agers, it's hard to just die. We, were, we imagine we're going to be sitting up in our nice bed with our favorite music playing and meditating, but yeah. under the influence of drugs or gasping for breath or your lungs falling apart or whatever is going on with your biochemistry in your brain, it's very hard to you know, be that cool, calm, and collected. Duncan talked about uh, working at a hospice place and a woman who uh, the room was filling with light as she was passing sort of thing, but then she'd jolt up and the light would kind of go away <laughs> sort of thing. It was very, And he said this happened like five, six times, and I was like, what an interesting slice of both things happening. This beautiful, for someone who's spiritually selfish like me, oh, look, oh, look, light, you know what I mean? Cool, cool death, spiritual groovy death. And also the body just going... No, we have neurons and we have a system in place and we're here to keep you alive and we're going to ask for more air. That's why I mentioned the gasping for breath like you're drowning. You know, people who are drowning are fighting so much they even drown the lifeguard trying to help them. Right. That could be us in our deathbed if we're not lucky or trained or careful or, you know, I don't know. Everybody has a different karma, let's say, for lack of a better word, you know, but – I attend a certain amount of deaths and people ask me because I'm a Tibetan Lama to guide them and help them. And, you know, people have very various ways of dealing with it. But there's only really a few ways you die, sort of like, you know, it's not lung cancer that kills you. It's drowning, for example, because mm. the lungs are fluid. Perf- yeah, fluid. Mm. So there's only a couple of ways to die. And one is like that and the other one is the brain death and the strokes Cardi- and cardiac yeah. arrest. And so how conscious or unconscious you are in that is not really the main thing, but I think the main thing is being present and having some preparation, whatever that means to you, so that you have, you know, let's say, you can surrender to Maharaji or rest in the clear light or trust that it's God's will and life and death are not separate and that your business is taken care of. Mm-hmm. They don't have a lot of loose ends and you're not... You know, regretting and remorseful, he didn't take care of this. Or well, that would be the clinging. Left yeah. a mess for someone else. Mm-hmm. So all of this is something we need to do now. Live up to death, not just wait until then and think we're going to do something spectacular. Like ignoring it. Yeah. Like it's following you and you right. ignore it. But yes. instead you go like, well, this thing's following me. Yeah. I better X, Y, Z. Yes. Face it and deal with it. And, you know, really open-mindedly, like, explore the fears and all. Like, if I ask myself, honestly, I think I'm more afraid of chronic, long-term, agonizing pain than death. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of judgment because that's how I was raised. You talk about nose jobs and child abuse. I actually think <laughs> being told that there's an angry God who hates you, Jonathan oh. Edwards stuff, well, that wants to throw you into hell because mm. I like to swear or sometimes I masturbate or whatever it is. Uh, that is still in there. That's part of my work is trying to extricate myself from... That's one of the clouds in the sky, to use your thing. Yes. And it's not fun. I don't like thinking that if I were knowing I was about to die, that one of the thoughts that is going to show up is, what if God is mad at you and he can't wait to torture you? Because that's that's something I was taught. Not by my parents, by the way. I'd like to point out it was the church. Right. Well... Maybe that's why you're not going to that church anymore. So I think <laughs> it's important for all of us to amplify what we as adults choose to, you know, to find as positive. So like I would say, just masturbation is God's work. I see God's hand in it. 
And the whole theme of Tantra, Tantra yoga, is that the body and the energy and the breath and the spirit and the emotions and the feelings and the sensations and the orgasmic pleasure as well as the cosmic bliss are all a weave, a warp, a woof, a weft, a weave of a beautiful tapestry. Mm. And we can treat our body and others' bodies and this world, the body of the world, as a temple. Not just it's in the way of the pure spirit getting somewhere. Mm. So I think we could choose to amplify or study, learn about, well, of course, explore. Don't just take anybody's word for it. Explore these other ways of seeing it, not just the fire and brimstone, mm. Protestant ethic, kind of grim That's pure, not- pilgrim's view. As things. Rob Bell likes to say, the gospel, of course, means good news. He's like, that's not very good news. <laughs> it's, not, it's not good news. It's not very fun. And uh, I, I like the story that, you know, I hear and we all tell as the Western Dharma teachers that when so-and-so got to, you know, Rabbi so-and-so got to the pearly gates and um, Peter was there and Rabbi so-and-so was a little worried because it was St. Peter and Rabbi so-and-so was not, you know, baptized or a member of that church. But <laughs> Peter said, oh, Rabbi said, it's good to see you. God had a few questions for you before you come in. He wanted to know if you've been loving, if you've been uh, compassionate, and if you've been rabbi, if you've really been the true rabbi so-and-so. Mm. Mm. So it wasn't about the different isms. It was about were, were you, you really loving, him? compassionate, and were you really yourself? Well, that goes back to Richard Rohr, humbly and proudly returning what you were given. Uh, that's really the beautiful for me. It's like the, the Christ the Talent parable. Were you a beautiful Pete Holmes? Not Right. Did I, Pete, Holmes, did I Pete Holmes the hell out of this Pete yeah. Holmes? Yes. <laughs> we'll give you 100%. <laughs> but that won't be enough for you. Never no, be, never enough. Never, never enough. I need more. I need more. Damn because it. we can't get it from someone else. Yeah. We can give it every day. Well, it's funny. That's... You, have to give, you have to get it. You know, give it to yourself. Mm, that's right. Sharon Salzberg just posted an Instagram of like someone holding a bag of happiness and someone said, that's cool. I've been looking for that everywhere. Where do you get it? Yeah. And the guy says, I made it myself. <laughs> Isn't that great? We love Sharon Salzberg and her trying to get her Facebook on Facebook and tweets. She'll be on. We'll get her. <laughs> There's a million things we could talk about. Would you like to talk about your book just for the sake of, of, of that's a good thing to do? Well, obviously I, I, write books and things and teach and you know lead retreats and workshops because that's my way of contributing and trying to make a difference and um i have a lot of books about different things the buddha within the innate great perfection letting go of the person you used to be life's big questions and finding your own answers but this one is called make me one with everything and it's about co-meditation Interbeing with whatever arises, whoever, not just meditating with other people. Mm. Of course, that. But also me- co-meditating with God, intermeditating with nature, with the ocean, with, with pets. So not transcending necessarily. Yeah, and like, seeing through the illusion of separateness. joining. Like breathing out into things and in and out of things and joining, God, merging. It's funny because you mentioned breath a couple times. I, I wonder if you've heard the idea that the Jewish name Yahweh for God is the breath. It's yes, to I've reflect heard that. Ruach. The, yeah, the spirit. Yeah, but yeah, the breath. in and the out yes. of Yahweh, that yes. sound. And sometimes when I'm meditating, I'll be like, oh, man, that's right. You know, you feel it. You're like yes. the breath within the breath, that sort of thing. Right. And I love that. Well, that's a great idea for a book. So that's what this book is about, and uh, there's practices and ways to do it, and including how to meditate, co-meditate with the Dalai Lama in person or in the archetypal way or with God or mm. 
with your lover. Chapter four is all about relational yoga and co-meditating with your your lover and mm. other ways of softening the solid separateness that leads to feeling so lonely and alienated so much of the time. Wholeness. Yeah. You're Wholeness the, and completeness. The innate great completeness as we call it in Dzogchen Tibetan Buddhism. You're in the you're in the wholeness business. <laughs> <laughs> no business, you know what I mean. No, it's a good business. That's it's your the business. Only business. <laughs> I mind that, that business. Well, let's do the, the speed round because you've been so generous with your time and then we'll get you out of here. Do you mind doing this? It's real easy. I will ask you uh, first. I, I didn't even say how welcome you are and how much I love you and how great you are. And I should have said that at the beginning, but how very trippy that we're doing it at the end. Well, we got right into our um, meditation into being together. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm you being, being into that. and me being Saridas. With audiences and with this podcast is not interrupting any sort of spark. It's like when they fly away from the fire, you have to chase that one. You can't. You can't stop to say thanks for being here unless they seem uncomfortable, which you didn't. Uh, this is the speed round. It's, it's, it, I, I hope it would be fun. These are the things I, I like to talk about, and I think they are for you too. I like to ask people, what is the greatest lesson you've learned about? Uh, and they don't – here I am taking pressure off. It's not like an on-the-spot thing. I'm still here with you. But it's just kind of like a first thought, something that you'd like to share. The greatest lesson you've learned about love? That love is not enough. <laughs> I grew up with the Beatles, and I even spray painted on the room of my dormitory in college. And love is all you need. Mm. But I learned as I, love is not enough. You also there needs to be other chemistry and circumstances, you know, mm. for like, people to be together. I mean, love is not enough to be together. Maybe somebody dies. Maybe somebody changes their sexual orientation. Who knows? Mm. Love is not enough. And in that case, you so need... let's not be overly naive. Well, love also needs loving. And sharing, and <laughs> and uh, patience, honesty, and honesty, compassion, and, you know, service. Yeah, I understand. So that's why love is not enough, even though it sounds good. <laughs> I love them so much. I want to marry them when I graduate from ju- from sixth grade. That's great. It's not enough. That's and also, great. love has so many. Lo- there's so many kinds of love and levels. Hmm. Hmm. Which we were talking about. Yeah. The tip of the iceberg. Right. That's great. Um, greatest lesson you've learned about family. We talked a lot about my family, but not yours. I'm interested in... Family's more important than I thought. Is that right? Growing up. Mm-hmm. Tell me... Tell because I was fortunate to have an intact family. I took it for granted and just wanted to get away and individuate and go away to college and you know, go away to India for 20 years. But family's more important than I thought. And then spiritual family became so important that it returned me to what I could see what was in family to begin with, which is... You know, like Robert Frost's great line of poetry, home is where they have to take you in when you go, no matter what. Oh, I see. So that's like family. Mm. And that's, you know, family's very important. No, we, we need each other. If it's not blood family, some kind of family. Mm. I think no one can do it alone. Believe me, I've tried. I was a Buddhist monk for nine years. You meditated alone for three years I, I, twice? I, yes. I was in three-year <laughs> retreats and silent retreats and 49-day dark, well, dark, 24 hours a day darkness retreats. But that reminds That's me of... That's when we do lucid dreaming, Tibetan dream yoga also, by the way. That's so and cool. And preparation for death That's and the clear light. But, um, but that reminds you know, Buddha leaving his wife and yeah, child and, right. and Christ saying, I came to turn brother against brother and not to unite but divide and all that sort of stuff. 
sometimes I use those to my advantage. I'm like, yeah, well, I feel sometimes that there's an evolution beyond some of the people that I, I associate with back home. You understand? And, yes. And that causes me pain sometimes. But then I'm like, oh, it's okay. I'm doing this work over here. But you're saying, don't, don't let go. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I say the family's more important than I thought. <laughs> this is your just die no, moment. <laughs> letting go, letting go is very important. You but I have my own. But I added something. Everybody says letting go, letting go. So I have to instruct now. Letting go means letting things come and go. Letting be. Because mm. letting go starts to get the flavor, it seems, too often of, ra- of, of throwing it away or suppressing. Mm. Letting go means letting things come and go, letting be. There's a great acceptance in that. Mm. So accepting my tri-state New York family and Jewish neurotic clan background more. Mm. And that that's in me and I'm in it and that's a good thing. That's made me the Lama that I am and, and the, the Bodhisattva or the, the awakener and teacher, the, the, you know, the poet that I am. That's right. You know, it's funny that you say that. I got this in therapy. Uh, when I go home, sometimes I think I'm visiting the factory because I really, this sounds That's arrogant, saying, right. but I really do love myself and I love my life and I love. And you should. You have a beautiful life. You're a beautiful person. Thank you. So therefore, I, you have a beautiful family. Exactly. You go your and you this is this is the factory. Right. If you like Hershey bars, this is where we made it. Yeah. <laughs> so it can't be entirely bad. That's right. That's what I'm saying. And I, that, well, that's that. The not thing. We, I don't want to talk about my family again. I clearly yearn and love them so much, but I'm also an e- evangelical. I always want to. I'm trying to liberate. Like Ramda says, I'm helping you get free. Damn it! You know what I mean? Like I get real worked up about it. So. Well, you're still young, so it's good. <laughs> God bless. But what I want to say is the great Zen founder Suzuki Roshi of San Francisco, Japanese of San Francisco Zen Center. In the 70s, he had a lot of disciples. He was a wonderful master. He spoke broken English, so this is not a translation. Somebody said something about what, you know, what should we, how can we get our wife, our husband, our so-and-so to come and meditate? Mm-hmm. And Roshi said, one in family is enough. And you could feel the whole room went like, ah, <sighs> deflated. Ah, <laughs> ah. One less tilting at will mills I have to do. Uh, Impossible chore. Uh, <sighs> one in family, one in is, family enough. is enough. I can't believe if I hadn't it, it done the so speed round, we wouldn't have gotten this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a, I'm gonna Not get, Christian. That's good. I love it, though. But in the spirit yes. of Jesus. Yes. Of acceptance. Greatest lesson. And forgiveness. Oh, boy. I don't know. I, don't, I never want to interrupt you because there's so much goodness. <laughs> uh, greatest lesson you've learned about the heart. The heart is not just an organ. It's really an organ of perception. And uh, the lesson was that I needed to and could learn to use it more and better. Mm. Not just my head as I was brought up to do. Mm -hmm. Not just IQ, but EQ and other kinds of Q, relational intelligence and um, intuition intuition and psychic intelligence and trusting my, you know, intimations or things at the edges of what's the non-thinking yeah. thing it, it right. just does it just is yeah and that. even like as i was brought up with the big should what i should do and become and be and get ahead and be someone and contribute uh, also there's another side too. that's kind of like more of the head of the heart of that i already am and can be and am and don't have to. It's not what you know. I don't have to do anything to be lovable or accepted 
by God or right. to be approved rather than judged. Mm. That it's in me, that it is me, that uh, to live in the heart and through the heart and from the heart more, not just from the head. Mm. And that was very, very important to me. And since you love Maharaj, and probably Baba really opened that for me. Otherwise, I'd be much more of a dry Buddhist scholar and cycle logically oriented kind mm. of philosopher but he really opened my heart and made me more of a sloppy bhakti yeah like a kind sloppy of a troubadour mystic poet in came this jazz lover of, yeah, <laughs> right. lover of nature and animals mm, beautiful uh only one more greatest lesson you've learned about god god is all there is but um God, God is a word. It's a placeholder for what we don't understand. Mm. So arguing about it, it's kind of nonsensical. <laughs> better, better investigate and explore with a very open heart and mind. And get some personal experience instead yeah. of me telling you yeah. about my God. Yeah. Who said plumb, God? Is, plumb the mystery. God is the blanket we put over the mystery to give it shape. Yeah. But I'll say, you know, words like God or enlightenment or buddha these are just placeholders for what we or most of us really we don't understand mm-hmm. and maybe it's not that understandable mm-hmm. so isn't that the value i would argue of psychedelics of something like that that forces it's this involuntary like if you take it like drinking wine will get you drunk taking this substance will give you an experience that you cannot explain Yes, that's one value of these um, transcendent experiences or epiphanies. Uh, it doesn't always give you a positive experience. Mm. That needs to be said. But um, have you, have you so, had your share? I, my, I mainly had positive experiences, so yeah. you know it was a great gateway uh, for me. But and there were other things too, like fasting and intense practices, and you know, and, and so on. That like twenty-four hour chanting or other things, mm. you know, celibacy, uh, um, twenty-one day fasts, uh, mountain pilgrimages that also clear out the doors of perception, as mm. Aldous Huxley called it, not mm. just uh, drugs. But like I like to say about jogging, you can go for a jog <laughs> or you can have a glass of wine. I don't have a jog in my on my liquor cabinet. You know what I mean? I do have one. And like I don't necessarily have the will to fast for twenty one days, but I can get you some some mushrooms if you'd like. <laughs> it's just like you said, it's a gateway, it's an easier it seems like a nice little hack that gets a lot of people into this sort of stuff. Well, I'm like a spiritual slut. I've tried it all. I've done it with everyone. So, you know, and all the gurus. So I'm no one to judge or to proscribe. Yes. And this is – you're going to like – this is what I ask all the – you got all the spiritual stuff because this time was very precious to me. But this is the question I ask everybody to end the podcast, which is do you know – can you think of a time you laughed the hardest in your life or any of them? could be today. It could be when you were five years old. Uh, being with you is always a good laugh. This, been, <laughs> this is up there. And I, that has never happened. I've, I've, maybe I've been secretly waiting for someone to say that. <laughs> that makes me so happy. Well, you're that, a fun guy. Well, you're you live you're up to the jolly guy, and, and you know, I, you know, I think we all need a little more stand up there's too much sitting down going down in the Buddhist ghetto <laughs> and a little more Dharma stand up and 
Noble Silence Dialogue. In fact, aren't we going to do it Saturday in Laguna yeah. at my day retreat? So, yes, I will be so there. So that'll be fun. I can't wait. Thank you so much for taking this time. It means so much, and I can't wait for you to receive the love from the listeners. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Would you say Thank keep you. it crispy? It's how we end. You say the catchphrase. It's keep it crispy. Keep it crispy. You keep it crispy. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Just don't burn out. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> Now leaving Nerdist.com. 